Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, you're very welcome to the Mick Clifford Podcast with the Irish Examiner on today, the 7th of February, Friday the 7th of February, the eve of the general election. It has been uh, an eventful campaign, I think it's fair to say. It's been a campaign with a few surprises, which I suppose we should have expected because every campaign has surprises. But here to run the rule over the campaign and perhaps we might get a few predictions out of them for what way the seats are going to fall tomorrow, we have the Irish Examiner political editor, Danny McConnell, and Irish Examiner political correspondent, Juno McEnroe. Lads, you're both very welcome. Morning, Mick. Danny, start with you. Um, the campaign, impressions? Uh, it's been a very, what I would consider a low energy campaign in terms, of, there were no big dramatic moments in my view in terms of that we've seen, in, you know, explosive moments like what we say in 20, 2007 where, you know, it centred around Bertie Hearn's finances and there were dramatic moments in, you know, the Vincent Brown intervention in the Mansion House, there was his, that infamous press conference where Scott Miller asked him a question and there was the 10 seconds of silence. There were no great moments like that on the campaign trail, really. It was a very structured campaign. I mean, it fell into a, a rhythm pretty quickly. But what did emerge was that the Fine Gael strategy wasn't working very early on. And this kind of insistence on hammering us over the head with Brexit and the sort of the economic message, you know, it, it, was a, it was kind of a reminder to me that you rarely get thanks in politics for what you've achieved. It's well, all about quick the quick thing about that, Danny, as you say, and I, th- I think a lot of people would agree with you in terms of the Fine Gael strategy. But the interesting thing there is the last election, the Fine Gael strategy also mm. was shown to be deficient. Well, look, what happened in 2016 was they ran a campaign that should have been run in November. They, you know, they had set up, they had run a budget, basically say, give away budget, and the campaign was essentially keep the, keep the recovery going. It should have been immediately after the budget. But because Joan Burton kind of dug her heels in and forced Enda Kenny to delay, it just, the timing was wrong, the mood had changed, and all of a sudden it just didn't, it didn't land and it completely backfired. And it came across as high-handed, it came across as arrogant, and it came across as Fine Gael out of touch. There's nothing different this time around. Fine Gael completely still look out of touch. I remember, I'll go back to what Frank Flannery said in a documentary on Fine Gael. Uh, he says, every Fine Gael government, when they're in power, lose touch with the people. They don't have that, em- they just don't have that empathy gene, uh, whereas Fianna Fáil are far more in tune, or traditionally are far more in tune with the sort of the, 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 the political mood and the, and the public mood. The Sinn Féin element can't be discounted. That has been the real story of this election. The, the thirst and desire for change, I, I think, has been well well flagged. They have managed to tap into that and tap into it really well. Um, they stole a march in relation to the pensions issue at the start of the campaign, and they forced the other two parties to kind of change their positions, which was pretty significant in itself. They got a couple of big bounces of the ball. I mean, they were able to play the victimhood in relation to being excluded from the debates, only to end essentially winning that by forcing Ortiz's hand on that. So Sinn Féin have run a very disciplined... Uh, very tight campaign. I mean, Mary Lou, have, they haven't been doing the sort of daily doorsteps or daily briefings that the other parties have been doing. Trying to get the details as to where they are out of the press office has been notoriously different. I've noticed it's very significant that I even when they have done press conference, say the manifesto launch or they did a thing last Sunday, they're grouping questions as to limit the ability of journalists to try and actually probe them. Like So, you, you know, rather than saying a one, one question 
answer one question answer where you can actually delve in and go and, and come back in if you're grouped into a, if you're lumped in with a group of four questions it's much harder to kind of come Don't back in too closely exactly. is there yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah. they managed they successfully managed to do that and and for them they had to say well the strategy has worked so why, why change it they're I'd say they are absolutely kicking themselves the fact that they don't have 60 candidates in the field because, you know, there is a limit to how successful they will be in terms of seat numbers at the end of the day. That's the thing, Juno, isn't it? I mean, the Sinn Féin were not prepared for the extent to which there was a thirst of change and how it would be focused on them. Neither was anybody else, particularly us in the media, other political parties. I think nobody foresaw, first of all, the way Sinn Féin would be able to capture that and as well that this uh, theme of change would become so central to the whole campaign. Yeah, sure. Looking in a few weeks before the campaign kicked off, we predicted some other key front bench spokespeople were going to lose their seats. So, you know, there was talk of whether Louise O'Reilly would last and others and Owner Brin wouldn't bring in in a second candidate. You know, and now you look at what they're doing, they're probably going to get two in Cavan Monaghan. Uh, you know, in Cork North Central, it looks like they're going to land one there. Obviously, in Donegal, Port McLaughlin looks like he's on the way back with um, Pierce Doherty. So, in a way, there was a kind of a the, voters swung, I think, in the polls anyway, towards Fianna Fáil initially in that talk of change, the key issues in housing and health. And then maybe after they saw the debates and there was the alignment of the two key leaders there, they thought, well, confidence and supply, is this a change? Is this any different? And maybe they looked towards Mary Lou MacDonald. She was very effective in the debates. She came across as charismatic, humorous. Her little uh, jibes to the two lads either sides, again, linking them up the duopoly of Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil and trying to stand out, you know. And I mean, it, it was an election in a lot of ways of populism. Promises from all parties across the board to address the housing crisis and the health crisis and whether those spending promises can come to fruition or not. Sinn Féin, I think, tried to tap into those key areas. Like Danny said, the Fine Gael tactic of banging over the head and Brexit and the economy fell flat very early on. I remember a key moment I was up with the Taoiseach, the Fine Gael leader, Leo Radgar and Burr and Offaly. It was a late night. We were or late evening, I should say, we were out finishing off a, a canvas trail of the day. Marcella Corcoran, Kennedy, had, uh, the, the local TD there, Charlie Flanagan, they, we'd gathered in the square, we were walking down the main street and one or two of the, the local residents stopped to talk to the teachers, as you'd expect, and they said, what are you going to do for us? What are you going to do for me and my family? And the Taoiseach immediately went into, we're going to get a good deal on Brexit and a good deal on trade and negotiations. But he was caught immediately because... One of the ladies there like put him like a rabbit in the headlights and went straight into the fact her daughter was a nurse, the crisis in health in A&E's. The other man standing beside her talked about suicide prevention. He had once tried to take in his life. The Taoiseach got stuck there for 10 minutes and all the media and all the cameras. And this was one of the early days and it really dawned on everybody that it, it was a, a totally wrong tactic. And some of those moments came true more and more. Still at the end, we, we have had a large emphasis on the economy. But other key moments which I found, and, and again, as Danny said, the Frank Flannery you know, conversation, not tapping into the mood. The, one of the very first days, I think we all remember, is when that unfortunate incident, that terrible incident, that homeless man on, on the Grand Canal banks there was lifted up by machinery and, and sustained very bad injuries. And that news was breaking across uh, the campaign, we were up in Monaghan there with the Taoiseach and the Fine Gael launch and it was in a forklift 
factory. All the photographs and all the pictures yeah, came. You couldn't blame them for that. No, no but to be you, fair. but you wouldn't have a forklift behind you, Mick, and you wouldn't necessarily. You know, you would get out of there quickly and, and you'd, re, you'd readjust and you'd go into the town or you'd say, we're going to do the doorstep somewhere else. And it just it just wasn't on on the radar, you know, how much of an <clears> issue it was. And, and tight I remember, remember Owen Murphy got himself into trouble inadvertently because his poster was hanging up yeah. above. I mean, and he, he had to kind of almost do a mea culpa on Twitter. It's that sort of thing that they, were, they just seem to be reacting rather than driving the agenda, you know. Yeah, and it, 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 it sums up there what Juno was saying. I mean, when you look at the major threats to the country at a macro level. Mm. Quite obviously, you have Brexit and climate change. Both in the distance, Brexit not so much, climate change mm. further away. But those are huge threats to our way of life, to the health of the economy, etc. And in general, the economy. So you have those. Mm. And they seem to have concentrated on them, yet completely missed that under the radar, the quality of life issues mm. that are affecting so many cohorts. And it just struck me, Personally, I think there's, there's a, a chasm opening up in terms of equality between generations. If you're in your 40s, 50s, if you've bought your home, mm. say, before the worst of the excesses of the boom, your kids are out of childcare, the economy's picking up, wages are picking up, things are not too bad. If you're younger, yeah. they are. if you're older, the kids haven't left home yeah. because it's there in your face because they can't afford to even rent a place themselves. Yeah. And they seem to have missed those issues completely. As I, as I have, have put it in my head, um, and I, you know, I think I've written a column about this once or twice, you know, it's because the middle class is in crisis. The three main reasons for playing by the rules and to vote uh, centrist, your job for life, a pension at the end of your job and to get on the property ladder. Those three things are, are now largely beyond your 28-year-old, 29-year-old person. I was in a taxi, uh, been dropped with a job last week. Uh, he's kind of a guy in his mid, mid to late 50s. He's a uh, daughter, age 25, 26. She's been kind of going out with someone for four or five years. She's a working professional. Her boyfriend's a working professional. They want to move in together, but the two of them are stuck at home. And that just encapsulated the difficulties that Fine Gael and the government have had to face because they can bang on about the macroeconomy all you want. But if you are not, if you're working your backside off and you're not seeing the fruits of your labour or you can't, you can't live because you're trying to save for that 10% deposit or the 20% deposit or whatever it is, um, what sort of quality of life do you have? I was very struck by items on the radio this week about, you know, people in the commuter towns, you know, two hours each way every night. Child care for 12 hours a day. That what kind sort of, of quality of life is that? Like, I mean, I'm very, I live in Drumcondra. I have three small kids under the age of six. We benefit from the state services in terms of that we get the free ecky year, you know, for my, for my middle kid. My, my eldest is in, is in primary school. But like, we're not looking for much, but we're looking like, but we've been confronted with the reality that the childcare facilities that my kids are in are in trouble because of the insurance issue and also because of the the chronic lack of funding in the system. That's where Fine Gael and the government or any prospective government could have attracted my vote. But any of their offerings on that particular issue, just to give you that, that one example, they're tinkering around the edges. Listen, we'll give you an extra 20 euro here. There's no fundamental appraisal of or, or realisation that there's a system in absolute crisis. Just the, the, the Ipsos MRBI poll, uh, the, the later one, um, drilled down into the issues for, for uh, voters and constituents. It was one last Monday. Uh, it was a t- yeah, it was the right, second yeah. half really, yeah. and, but it looked at health, housing, you know, uh, tax cuts, what people wanted, and what age cohort. And to go back to what you were saying, Mick, there, it was very divided because in 
half of Dublin, housing was the main issue, but in the rural areas, health was the main issue. For older people, health was the main issue. For younger people, housing was the issue. So those subjects kind of divided. But also, I think only uh, about, a, was it about a fifth of people were interested in some major tax cut. And like Danny says, the 20 euro, the 5 euro here and there, for me, the key events of this election were events that didn't happen during the election. They happened for the last year or two. You know, if you were adding those few euro euro to people's pockets, maybe some major programmes in health and housing should have been dealt with because those issues, they happened a long time ago. They didn't happen in the last few weeks. They weren't the events that happened and have changed things. They have been there and that's why that sustained frustration has strangely only come out, I suppose, while people started tuning in to what the parties were saying, you know, especially Sinn Féin. The interesting thing, though, Danny, is, and as and to some extent we've seen this type of phenomenon in recent years, post-recession, a realignment, people feeling left behind. For example, in the likes of the US, UK, it was as a result of globalisation. There, there are more domestic factors here, but the sentiment is the same in that regard. But at the, having said all that, when you put it in that context, in those other places, it resulted in somebody being swept to power with a promise to change everything. If Sinn Féin had the best election in the world, they're still not. And that would be, say, for example, if every one of their 42 candidates was to get elected, they still would be another 40 seats away from holding power. So where does it go in that regard? What kind of a, 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 what you might call a a mini-revolution are we experiencing so with, with regard to that? I think what we're seeing, Mick, is a fracture, a real fracturing of the vote. And I think that thirst and desire for change Yes, it's been channeled into Sinn Féin, but there's a limit to, to where the, how far that can go. You're looking at the Labour Party stagnating, you're looking at the Sock Dems not really going anywhere. The Green Wave really hasn't happened, you know, according to the polls, and we caveat all, all our conversations, we're kind of basing this on, on poll findings. So Fianna Fáil, to a certain degree, are, are becoming a repository for that change. Like their, their numbers will go up. They're at 40, you know, they're in the mid-40s at the moment, they're likely to come back with seats in the mid-50s. So they will benefit to some degree from that thirst for change. But I think what's been really striking is that a lot of people have clearly said, we're not ready to forgive Fianna Fáil yet. You know, they're 10 years on, we're not ready to forgive. And I think that has largely, that's largely down to the fact that Micheál Martin sat at the cabinet table for 14 years. Yes, I think he showed great courage in staying on as Fianna Fáil leader, dragged them from, from near oblivion to back to kind of being viable again in 2014 in the local elections in 2016 in the, in the last general. But people remember his face at the cabinet table. They remember the, the crimes of the past. An older generation. An older generation. But I also think as well, you, you know, I think it goes back to, to my, my earlier point. You, you know, if you're looking at uh, the point that Mary Lou Macdonald has made consistently is that the, both Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil between them have run the state for the last 100 years and look at the state of the country. And, you know, so therefore we want something different. You're looking at this, there's been a, a generation of, of young people mobilised through the social agenda of the last four or five years and they're now looking to kind of, well, well, where do I continue this activism politically? And some have been, you know, like what, what I've been looking at is, you know, the drop in Fine Gael support and particularly in that younger age group has sort of mirrored the rise in Sinn Féin support. So, you, you know, and people will say, "Is it the same vote?" Yeah, this is what this is the same constituencies. Yeah. Certainly, you know, if you look at like as I as I said, there are areas where, like, if you look at um, Mid East, Mid West, two ministers going to be taken out. More than likely, it'll be Sinn Fein TDs who'll be sitting there mm. instead. But do you think it's the same yeah, vote? I do, I do because I, one I was talking to people uh, about it, and they said, "Well, 
if you're a young person, you're in your mid-twenties and you were involved in the repeal of the eighth and the marriage equality, your image of Fine Gael is one of a liberal party, you know, that's soft and cuddly and, you know, metropolitan. So your jump to Sinn Féin is not that big when you're speaking the kind of same language. And it's one issue that I, I kind of struck me. The people who have jumped are young people who have no real ties to the family, sort of, we've always voted Fine Gael. That sort of adage or attitude doesn't really apply anymore. So I do think because it's been a consistency through all the polls and I've gone through all the demographic data across all the polls, it would appear to me that there is a trend of people jumping from Fine Gael to Sinn Féin. So these sort of people who would have bigged up Simon Harris and Leo Varadkar for being at the, the forefront of social change are now looking at change you know, in sort of the domestic issues around the economy and they're kind of taken by the message of the owner Brins, the Pierce Doherty's and the Mary Lou Macdonalds. And that's fascinating to me because that is a sea change in Irish politics. It is. And one aspect about it, though, Juno, is we're talking today on the basis that we expect Sinn Féin to have a very good day. That means, having said that, a very good day for them might only involve adding three or four seats. seats. But at the same time, that's on the basis of what was expected prior to the election, that they would lose seats. But the thing that arises is this. Do you think that Sinn Féin really want to get into power. If, for example, in the morning, Fine Gael and Fine Fáil said, OK, we've dropped any objection, we'll coalesce with them, if, if um, we'll sit down with them and see if we can coalesce with them. Do you think Shane, Sinn Féin would like to be in power with one of them after the election? It's certainly the message they're putting out there, that they be the party that makes the difference on those issues like housing. Would benefit them in the long run, uh, as we've seen in other minor, minority parties when they get faced with difficult decisions, Labour, the PDs, the Greens before them. <laughs> ironically, Sinn Féin think the long game. But ironically, you know what the best thing could be for Sinn Féin? For them to enter with one of those big parties, say Fine Gael or Fianna Fáil, and pull the plug and say, well, we were willing to keep all our promises and, pu- and then and get the electorate then to notice the fact those Risk, other two parties didn't. Risky, risky strategy. Risky. It is, but they would build again in power and more and more. You know, the, the real test for Sinn Féin will be in government and will be when they have to make those tough decisions. Yeah, they've, and made, they've made them in the north and they haven't been radical in the north as, as they've projected point, themselves. Pointed out it was in the debate with Mary Lou MacDonald, you have 20,000 homeless in the north. You have the issue of the, the, the pension well, age. That figure is disputed now. Yeah, in, in terms of how you, how you count them. But yeah, yeah, fair enough, yeah. You know, and then you've 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 got the issue of uh, the Republican past as well. We we clearly saw that there's a priority still there in the party for you know to to keep things murky or to maybe not address them. Whether Mary Lou Macdonald was fully informed by Conor Murphy or not, or whether she was fully informed the public or not about the knowledge of the Paul Quinn saga, it's like with that, that's not, that's, that's not very fully serious, Juno. But I I it would is. suspect that it is not so something that impacts on the younger voters. No, it, no, it isn't. But what we're talking about them going into government and if, and what would they do in government those issues would still arise and they would have priorities there that would be dealt with and that, that would cause a lot of controversy I'd say with any coalition party but to go back to what you're saying about the young people as well who, who might vote for them I don't think uh, watching those debates they would have been overly concerned about the special criminal court you know the, the reluctance to back that and the Paul Quinn question I don't think that would have mattered to them as much you know and I've, I've talked to people who who would have said like you know but they've had the conversation at the kitchen table with their children and said, well, are you not aware that they were involved in this stuff? And they go, look, I want a home. I'm yeah. sick of renting or, you know, I'm, I've, I've got long commutes and, or whatever. And, and I think, to be fair as well, in terms of the Republican past, the issues around Paul Quinn, Special Criminal Court, etc. Personally, I think it's not so much the past. It's how much of the past is still within the yeah. party. But apart from that, I want to ask you that question. Do you think 
if it was laid open to them in the morning by Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, that we, we, we're, we're open to coalescing with you. Do you think they'd want to go in this time? I think that, I think there's a game of bluff going on here, Mick, and I genuinely would question their willingness and desire to really go in. They've made hay since 1997 by being oppositionist and total oppositionist in terms of their, their strategy. They moderate, they've moderated their tone since the local and European elections when they got their backsides handed to them you know, by the electors because they were seen as all negative, no solutions. They have sort of moderated their tone. There are huge question marks economically and, and uh, viability over over their uh, manifesto. Like the commitments in there just don't stack but, up. But one, one element there, to be fair, one element there, on O'Brien housing, and personally I think housing is the issue above yeah. all else because health is intractable in some ways. On O'Brien, in terms of solutions, and you can question whether his solutions are ultimately workable, but certainly in terms of a, a grasp on the issue... Pierce Doherty, insurance, as you were mentioning, even in creches, right across the area, has become a huge thing. Highly competent in that area. But so, it's too much of a hothead for the Ministry for Finance, in my view. I mean, uh, Pierce. Yeah. I mean, you need, like, the idea of having someone who has been pretty prone to kind of flying off the handle, both in the doll chamber and kind of in the public media. Is he flying off the handle? Uh, or is he just getting, is he just expressing No, himself? I just, like, I was listening, Michael Noonan did a podcast with the Indo a couple of days ago, The uh, and he says, and he made it, I thought he made a very convincing argument. You know, one thing of being a kind of combative oppositionist politician, when you're running the country's finances, you need to be far more conservative. You need to be far more cautious. And as Pierre Starr here... Fair enough, that, that, but having said that, in opposition, yeah. both himself and O'Brien have certainly performed to an extent... Without, I, don't, they, I don't dispute that for a second. They, they, and they, they, I, they're presenting yeah, alternative yeah. solutions as opposed to just yeah. opposing. And I think I think what they've also managed to do, and, and I think it was one of the key moments of the 2016 campaign, was that... You know all this. Remember all this nonsense around the fiscal space dominated for about a week, and someone I think it was Katie Hannon or someone did a run on the numbers, and actually turned out that Shinner's numbers were were spot on. Everyone else's numbers had the sort of kind of a, a cloud over them. So, um, so he he has a track record of being uh, of of competence in his portfolio. Uh, I think he has scored. Um, he's gained a lot of kudos, particularly in his performance in relation to the insurance issue. I think Michael McGrath's been very strong in that issue as well. And uh, on and on the banks, you kind of. But I I just. But I just don't think, right, if you're forming a government tomorrow and either Fianna Gael or Fianna Fáil open the door and say, lads, right, we're ready to do a deal. Ministries like justice, finance, foreign affairs, which have obviously issues around the purse strings, Northern Ireland and law and order. I think a lot of people would have difficulties with a Sinn Féin occupant in, in any of those I ministries. Think, I think I saw a letter, I think it was to the Irish Times, about somebody suggesting um, Mary Lou when she was in trouble in the debate, um, you know, and on the basis that it looked something like a game show in terms of the set and all, uh, perhaps when the awkward question came up did she want to phone a friend? And mm. I think that might be the... <laughs> now some, and then look, they, the claim, they claim there is no strings being pulled in West Belfast, but there's circumstantial evidence that suggests otherwise... But that, I, I agree with well, you. The that. McBride book, I think, has been cited yeah, an awful lot. The, a book about yeah. the RHI. Yeah. Listen, just to move off Sinn Féin, because they sure. have been the story, but, but the others, the, 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 what's been called the dog that didn't bark in this campaign is climate change. And the standard bearers there, undoubtedly, the Green Party. How have they done, Juno? I've been to a couple of events with Eamon Ryan and his candidates. They're very impressive. They know their stuff. I mean, but all parties have reached out, like taking the emperor's clothes in this one and adopted. Have they? I mean, they, they have. They, they have. Even in the debate last night with the, with the five parties, the smaller parties, you know, they're, they're all proposing bits and carbon tax. There are exceptions, of course, Sinn Fein there. They all have issues I'm around retrofitting, profit. around transport, you know, um, biodiversity. Uh, Everything is everything has been touched upon, but I don't think in in as genuine in a way. I think what Eamon Ryan has tried to do, 
I'm not sure if it's worked, is to go above the other parties, you know, and he's talking a lot about uh, wedding bogs. He's talking a lot about um, nature, you know, and grand transport plans and light rail. But what I found, and I think other reporters found, was they could not be pinned on red line issues. There was all this talk of principles. There was the money was there was a lot of money floating around, and it really wasn't budgeted for. I mean, we we tried to pin uh, several times the party leader on the light rail proposals, particularly for you know our readers in Cork and Munster and and uh, in Galway. In other words, there was no direction of where the money would come from. Uh, you know, rural transport. A bus for every village in town, that stuff costs money. And we've seen Fine Gael get a lot of grief for that, about not being able to provide rural transport. Again, we couldn't be pinned down. And he'll argue they were going to, you know, tweak some of the taxes, but this stuff wasn't as costly probably as maybe Fine Gael's or Fianna Falls might be. So that that might fault them. Uh, but, but saying that, their candidates are really strong. They're really good. If you look at the likes of... Um, You've got um, Paul, Pauline O'Reilly in, 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 in Dublin, Dublin Central. Yeah, Dublin Central. She's yeah. very popular and she could be one of the main threats actually to Pascal, Pascal Donoghue. Like you've got David David Healy in, in Dublin Bay North, Roderick O'Gorman yeah. in, Dublin, in Dublin West, Dunleary, O'Sheen Smith. These are all look like breakthrough names. And going back to the by-election in November, Joe O'Brien, you know, a candidate who relatively wasn't a household name came, you know, and just went with the brand. And I remember in some of the shows, he, they, people were being asked about the issues, housing and health, and he was just like green, green, green. But this is a general election and people do vote more for the long-term needs, you know, <coughs> it could be in the economy, it could be on on, on taxes. So uh, if we look at the polls as well, climate change hasn't been uh, as major an issue as, as, as those others I mentioned there. Danny, I, I suspect, and tell me what you think, um, there's an element here that the parties have sensed that the disruption that it seems would be required in order to tackle climate change effectively, that people, despite, to use that phrase, I hate using it, but I find myself using it more and more, despite people virtue signalling mm. that ultimately they're not ready for the disruption. Totally not ready for it. And like, I mean, I think the realisation is that if we were to make ourselves ready for it properly and to catch up with modern, you know, the rest of Europe, it'll cost an awful lot of money. It means more taxes in your pocket. And people are already giving out saying that we're overtaxed and we're under we're under-resourced. Um, and I think also as well, I think Juno hit on a point there. I mean, there's a vagueness around the green agenda. Like there's not, like there's a kind of a... Is that a necessary vagueness on the basis that if, if, if they're I, I too specific, they'll scare the horses altogether? Well, no, I, I would think... if it's not guaranteed. Like, you know, if, if it is an emergency and if the, the world is on fire, as Eamon Ryan is is saying and saying That's repeatedly... That's not just Eamon Ryan, no, no in fairness. But, but he, the science is saying yeah, No, I, I take that, but but you'd want to start seeing specific, you know, I mean, one of the issues uh, in, say, the Munster region that has caught the eye is that the Greens essentially want to unwind the M20 between Cork and Limerick. It's seen as a kind of a, a much-needed piece of infrastructure, but yet they would much rather want to spend the money on public transport. Now, I don't think those two things are mutually exclusive, but they cost money. Um, and I think anyone who drives that road, the N20 oh, between Limerick no and Cork, no, no, knows how tricky it is. And I think it's something that the business community in Cork and, and a lot of commuters w- w- would want as well. So... I mean, I studied the Greens. It was my job in the Sunday Independent 10 years ago was to study the Greens in government. And they were a disaster in government 10 years ago. 
you were know, they? They were, a f- they were flaky. They were all over the place. They were, you know... Ah, yeah, no, to be fair, I, I agree with you in, in, in terms of coming in, but they did bring in some policies in fairness that, that, that for example... The bike to work scheme was obviously the, one of their big hits. The, the, the tax on the sites, the, yeah. the, 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 on the rezone sites, the yeah. windfall tax and that sort of thing. Yeah. They, they, they did Stagling. advance their agenda in that regard in certain ways. They did, but I also... They, they were very tricky coalition partners at a time. Oh, now, yeah. now, I don't hold a torch for Fianna Fáil in any way and given what they did, they did to the country. But I do remember having some sympathy for the likes of Derek O'Leary and others you know, who were gone in as junior finance ministers at the time trying to get some sort of agreement, trying to get, trying to just get business done. And try, on one hand, you've Eamon Ryan and John Gormley saying one thing and then Dan, you know, Dan Boyle tweeting the, you know, as the soul of the party, the guardian of the soul of the party <laughs> yeah, kind yeah. of tweet. So I... I think, you know, the Greens in government, you know, will be a, a tricky enough proposition for any, you know, major coalition partner. And as well, I mean, just look at Saoirse McHugh, I mean, throughout this campaign. I mean, she's come out with some, frankly, bonkers stuff that is not in keeping with her party's policies. It's not in keeping with her party's policies. I wouldn't necessarily call them bonkers. Like, I mean, well, you have outliers in the main parties too who have... have uh, okay, well, when you're John talking Paul about... Jean-Paul calling people sorry, nutters. When John McGuinness. Yeah, but when you're talking about the dismantling leader. of the state <laughs> and kind of reverting to the community-led, <laughs> like that, that is bonkers <laughs> okay. by any, okay? okay? That could be part of the problem as well if they were to go into power, which... It's pretty likely, you know, when we look at the numbers at this stage, is the discipline there and those parties because there's all these multiple promises and people will have preferences okay. that won't be agreed. You, you talk know. about numbers, Juno. Give me your numbers for Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, Sinn Féin, Greens, Labour, Sock Dems. Okay, so this is based on looking at the Sinn Féin swing at the moment, which might calm down a little given the problems that Mary Lou faced in the debates. But if we start, uh, I'll go back to the Greens uh, at the moment and i probably being a bit cautious here because of the slide to Sinn Féin and the, those two parties do type from the same area I'm giving them 11 uh, right. seats of the 160 Sinn Féin I think they could reach close to the 30 mark Really? I do actually yeah and I was I think we had this discussion earlier in the week Mick and I was a little more cautious and I've gone through every constituency and I've looked at some of the the, the betting odds as well and going from 22 close to 30 I think there's a very real chance and they're leading in a lot of the constituencies. You know, as I pointed out earlier there, Calvin Monaghan, Chris Andrews, Dublin Bay South, I see him taking potentially a seat. You know, if, if Kevin Humphreys goes out for Labour, those votes will probably go across. And Ryan might have a bit of a surplus. And again, you know, the Green vote and the Sinn vote yeah. interchanges there. Um, I'll quickly fight through the others then. Fine Gael, a disaster, buying on pretty much, I agree with Danny there. About 34 I've got coming down from 47 uh, and Fianna Fáil, I'm saying 55 from their 46. And Labour? Uh, Labour, I've got coming in at eight. They've got a number of gains. I'm giving it to Jed uh, Nash and Loud, Mark Wall and Kildare, um, and, and the likes of Duncan Smith and, and Duncan Nope, but they're going to lose. And the Sock Dems are just going to gain one, I believe, and that's Gary Gannon and Dublin Centre. Well, on, do, on those figures, um, I'd suggest, Juno, the notion of the Fianna Fáil plus Rainbow Coalition they don't make they don't make it over the line or anywhere. You need you need you'll need Labour Greens, Sock Dems, and you'll need a healthy amount of independence. Yeah, that's a lot. What, what, it Danny, is messy. It's very Danny, messy. You, 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 you the story this morning. Yeah, uh, yeah. So we we basically kind of again, general myself, kind of independently, almost of, of each other, but are kind of reaching the inner end, the same conclusions. Fianna Gael are on course to lose about fifteen seats. I would see from now. Um, Fianna Fáil. They'll be down to twenty nine. Yeah. If they'd last fifteen. Yeah. Um, Fianna Fáil mid to high six, mid to high fifties. 
Go on, be more specific than that. I had it at 57 <laughs> last night, but with a caveat over Cork North Central. Um, because Michael Martin, sorry, just he did say in Newstock yesterday he be he thought it'd be a good election. They got plus fifty four. So. Yeah. Oh, he's gone. He's gone underplayed. Yeah. Um, sorry, fifty seven on the basis that I think the last seat in Cork North Central is going to be a dogfight between John Marr of the Labour Party and Tony Fitzgerald. Of right. Former think, mayor. Uh, yeah, and yeah. I think it's very close to call. Okay. Um, uh, Labour um, Party. I have them at six. Uh, I don't see them make. I see them changing personnel, but I don't see them making gains. Shinners. I, um, twenty. My notes. I think last night I had them at twenty six. Twenty six, right? Yeah. Uh, and then greens, greens. I had them at nine. Right. Well, I and I had Nessa Harrigan taking a seat in Dublin Central, like so. Uh, e- e- even even less so than uh, Juno's. Your numbers don't make up the Fianna no, Fáil I, Rainbow Coalition. A deal still has to be done between Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil in some shape or form. That, and the thing about that though is what you, what change. Effectively, what you're talking is just a reverse confidence and supply. Like, yeah. And I don't, and I don't see that happening. Well, the thing that strikes me about that—they will not get destroyed though for that. But I mean, all the well, pledges in me, this campaign. Let, let me put it another way to you. Sinn Féin in this campaign have prospered on the basis that it was tweedledum, tweedledee effectively yeah, yeah. to use that cliche. Yeah. You'd be doing the same thing here. Therefore, you'd be opening up. Apart from that, you also have the scenario. Everyone from Leo Varadkar-Down has been telling us about how vital it's going to be for the next year in terms of trade negotiations over Brexit. And what you're talking about there is a somewhat unstable arrangement between that and between the perception that it's just the two of them and you're opening up the opposition for Sinn Féin. Does that not even harden the case for some form of a coalition between the the two centre-right parties? I've been a long long standing advocate for the Grand Coalition but again, you know, the person, like like policy-wise, there's not a paper, a sheet of paper between them. It's the personalities that that, that have have stopped this. I mean, could Barry Cowan sit at the same cabinet table as Leo Varadkar given the fact that they just absolutely can't stand each other? You know, I just don't, I don't, I can't see it. Um, I think there are plenty of pragmatists in both sides who say, "Well, if it's the difference between being in power or not, then then it's worth a consi- you know, it's worth considering." Um, but then again, like I, I mean, I, as I wrote a couple of weeks ago in a column, like I mean, there are five options that are basically facing the people: a reversal of the current situation, reverse confidence supply, Fianna Fáil, Sinn Féin, you know, coalition, which gets you roughly to the 80, 80 seats, a Fianna Gael, Sinn Féin uh, coalition. Or we're back to the country. Every single one of them, there's problems with. There's no clear. There's no. As of now, you're yeah. fa- you're, you're, what you would say is the most likely. I think we could be looking at a general election again in 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 the autumn or or, or the or you know or autumn or slightly later than that. Like. And what would that sort? Well, I think what it might do, it might convince the people saying, right, you know, this fracturing of the vote has to end, and we need to coalesce against two or one or two main main forces because. We need a majority government. I think what my big takeaway of the last four years is that confidence and supply hasn't worked. New politics hasn't worked. You need a majority government because big, big issues like third level fees, like water charges, like the local property tax, broadband, have been long fingered. You know, the, as Pat Kenny regularly does in his show, he has a sound as about kicking the can down the road. Big issues are being kicked down the road all the time. It has to stop. And I think if we can't form a, a decent government, like, like, can Labour and the Sock Dems really go into government when Roisin Shortall can't stand Brendan Howland? Can they actually what work about that, together? What about that f- fabled uh, entity, the national interest? Well, I asked Leo Varadkar in Cork, he was down with us in Cork last week, and I said, uh, why did you not go to the, po- the the country in 2018 when you had a 10 or 11 you know, point majority over Fianna Fáil? And he said, it wasn't in the country's interest. Fianna Fáil stayed in government, you know, in 2011. They dragged... 
uh, it out until March 2011 in the national interest. And the Kenny acted in the national interest. No party ever seems to get rewarded for acting in the national interest. <laughs> yeah. Um, so and, and whether they're doing it in the national interest in yeah. specific instances is questionable too. Or exactly. In their own interest. I mean, I, I do kind of think though, right, uh, I'd much prefer to see a party acting in its own self-interest, getting a decent sort of number of EU seats and then, and then go in and run a country. Do you know briefly uh, the most likely outcome in your opinion? Um, I think Mihol will try to cobble together a government. He's he's put that out, Mihol Martin, during the campaign that he wants to try and reach out to the other parties. Would it be long last year or not? Uh, would he need some kind of reverse confidence supply then with Fine Gael? You know, we, we, we will have to have some stability come the trade negotiations at the end of March. Everyone wants to go to the White House. You can't have a situation you go straight into another general election. So I would concur that Danny is right there in the, you know, five or six months time. You know, this was a very quick election, came upon us very quickly, a winter election, a snap election. You know, let the let the let the land settle, see how the numbers are. But then Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil will be wary, of course, of Sinn Fein growing on that. So um yeah, some sort of temporary arrangement that's a, a joint rainbow coalition. Okay, well, no, lads, I have the bad news for both of you is that you're both on record and JJ here on sound has recorded all of this. Uh, we're going to come back sometime in the next week or two, first of all, in terms of your predictions of seats and see how good or bad they were. And then we'll come back maybe a bit later and see how things turned out in the bigger picture and how far on or off. You know, we're back. colleagues, Mick. We work together. <laughs> <laughs> the the joy of radio and print. This, this is a bit of crack we get out of it anyway. <laughs> Listen, uh, Danny, Danny McConnell, thank you very much. Juno McEnroe, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, that's it for today, folks. On the eve of the general election, uh, make it sound, reminds me of, uh, what's the Dylan song, On the Eve of Destruction, maybe. We'll have to see anyway. Uh, I'd like to thank JJ Vernon and Sound. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, or the usual platforms. You can let me know what you think at mick.clifford at examiner.ie or on Twitter at at Enjoy the weekend. There's a storm approaching. There's an election approaching. Make the most of it as you can. See you soon. <laughs>